Money from any country whatsoever. 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. This is the Elijah Har Show. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 93.3 KWTO and stream us on the 93.3 mobile app. Welcome back to KWTO. One hour down, one hour to go in the show today. Don't forget, coming up at 537, our snake draft. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, joining us for Morning Consult, Eli Yokely. Eli, welcome to the show. Hey, happy Monday. Happy Monday. Okay. Every day on the show, we do a question of the day. Every day on the show, it's different from the day before. This one's got a little specialty for you. What's the biggest right. secret in Joplin that people should know about? I think it might not be a secret, but the happy hour at Club 609 downtown is the best seal in the world. Interesting. Buy one free cocktail. There you go. Very nice. See, this is I love picking questions of the day that the guests can can opine on with some regularity. Sometimes it's just like, you know, what's what's the worst date you've ever been on, but we'll just we'll stick with Joplin secrets for today. Okay. Eli, you work for Morning Consult. You've been watching this presidential race. We talked about it the first hour. Tim Scott suspends his campaign last night. Give us the 30,000-square-foot view. Is there a path for anybody to win, or is this just Donald Trump's universe and we're all just playing in it? I think the answer is it's Donald Trump's universe, and we're all playing in it the way things stand. I mean, look, three and five Republican primary voters on any given day tell us they're supporting Donald Trump's candidacy. Another two and five are supporting somebody else. The way this race is today is all these other characters in the race are splitting up all the extra support and not able to coalesce behind somebody other than Donald Trump. I mean, if there are Republicans who actually do not want to see Donald Trump get the nomination, the best thing they could do would be consolidate around somebody. But we're not seeing that happen. I mean, even Doug Burgum, who almost nobody's heard of, said he's staying until New Hampshire. There's just not appetite among the current contenders to uh, do what it takes to defeat. I saw I saw a great post this morning that said Tim Scott dropping out says a lot about him. Doug Burgum and Asa Hutchinson not dropping out says a lot more about them. Yeah, I mean, they're just not breaking through, though. I mean, last week we checked in on this, and like 84% of voters heard nothing about Doug Burgum's campaign. The similar shares said the same about Asa Hutchinson. I mean, they're not pulling much support. A lot of this is going to Ron DeSantis and uh, Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy. But, you know, these folks are not uh, able to build much more than like 10% support. Uh, the Republican Party is clearly behind the former president, and the former president even looks competitive against Joe Biden next year. Um, I got to ask this because back in 2016, this was this was the rallying cry of everybody running against Trump as well. We just got to get it down to me against Trump, and then we'll win. And it didn't work. I mean, Ted Cruz could not find a path to beat Donald yeah. Trump. Is it the same this time? Is there, if we got it down to one, let's say it was DeSantis or Haley, I don't care. Let's say all the people that wanted to be somebody other than Donald Trump agreed on one opponent. Do you really think there would be enough to, to, to create a lane for that one opponent? I mean, it's probably getting to be too late. I mean, we're getting to the point where a lot of folks' minds are made 
up. I mean, it's possible, but look, I mean, you're still only working with like 40% support. The biggest challenge for everybody in this race is they are running for president against the most popular person in the Republican party. It's hard to unseat that person. And so, you know, consolidation would at least give that 40%, you know, some level of strength, but they'd still have to try to fight people over and bring them from Trump's camp to theirs. And that seems like a big task for a lot of these candidates. So probably not. And that's, you know, I think, I think this is the realization that Tim got to yesterday. And and frankly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see one or two more get there before we see votes cast in Iowa, which is there's just not the appetite right now to to replace Donald Trump. Now, that may change if we see a conviction, but I'm just going to be honest. I, I don't think his supporters really care. I think they'll be with him regardless. Next question I have. These polls that we've seen the last two weeks that show Trump beating Biden in swing states, yeah. what do you chalk those up to? Is that just early early voting? Is it just name ID? Is is the president, the current president, that unpopular? What do you what do you attribute that to? I mean, at this point, Joe Biden is about as unpopular as Donald Trump is, which is sort of an amazing fact to consider, uh, given you know everything about Donald Trump. Um, you know, these polls are very, very consistent. I mean, we did ours with Bloomberg released this last week. The New York Times released theirs. They're all showing Joe Biden losing in these key states. Um, uh, I think the big challenge for Joe Biden is that he has lost a number of supporters from his 2020 campaign in a way that Donald Trump hasn't. Donald Trump's base is much stronger today than Joe Biden's is. Um, that's a problem for the president. But it is also something that he could overcome and try to rally up his own troops. I always say people vote more out of fear and hate than they do out of love. Yeah. My assessment is if they do pick Biden and they do pick Trump as the nominees, there's a lot of people that have strayed from the Democratic Party that will say, you know what, I may not like Joe Biden, but I'm probably going to vote for him to prevent Trump from coming back. Am I wrong in that assessment? No, you're right. I mean, Donald Trump is the biggest motivator for both sides of the aisle. He clearly scares a lot of a lot of voters, especially in some of these key states. I think one thing we're noticing in some of the surveys is, you know, we've got about 10 percent support for RFK uh, Jr. in the in the contest. Um, some of that might just be dissatisfaction, almost like a protest poll, folks saying they're not going to support President Biden, but at the end of the day, may pull the lever for him. Um, that's going to be the president's challenge over the next year is trying to revive these folks who are unhappy with the Democratic Party and unhappy with the state of the economy. Um, you know, he keeps saying Bidenomics, uh, but voters aren't buying that. They don't believe that his economic policies have worked well for them. Um, these are things he can overcome, uh, but it's going to be a lift for the president. So let's let's say let's say nothing changes and and I'm I've been saying consistently for a while I think at some point it's not Trump versus Biden uh but I everything seems to be pointing to to the fact that I'm just don't know what I'm talking about let's say it's Trump versus Biden does does Biden run with Kamala does and who does Trump pick I think the president has been pretty clear he's sticking with Kamala Harris I think that is something Democrats are struggling to deal with I think there's a lot of concerns about the vice president's political abilities, especially just given the president's age. But I don't think she's going anywhere. 
Um, I don't know about uh, Trump's vice presidential pick. He hasn't really spoken much about this. Um, I think that a lot well, of that's not running. true. That there's, you know, he just talked about Tucker Carlson and said I would consider. You know, I, I, I feel like he sort of throws out these things just to chum the waters. I don't know. He's been serious yeah. about it, but I, I think he likes the conversation going on. Okay. Yes, that, that is the point. I don't think he he has had a serious open discussion about this, but I think a lot of the folks running would like to see him, and that might be part of why a lot of these other candidates for the Republican nomination haven't been willing to attack him. They don't want to get on his bad graces. I mean, Trump's even said nice things about Tim Scott. Uh, Tucker Carlson will see that seems kind of crazy, right? Like, it seems pretty unlikely. Yeah, I I think it seems more unlikely from Tucker's side. Like, if I was Tucker, why would you want to be the running mate? You can just sit there and you can interview whichever guest you want and you can make insane amounts of money or you can run for a fake office that nobody cares about with a guy who you you may disagree with it from time to time. I can't imagine Tucker would even contemplate that idea. No, probably not. Why would you give up a great show like this, uh, Elijah? Um, we'll we'll see. I don't just know how I don't know how much it matters. I mean, people always talk about the vice president as a big choice for a candidate, but when you have an incumbent and then basically an incumbent in Donald Trump running, uh, we kind of know what we're signing up for with the main. Uh, the main part of the, of the ticket. So this this may matter less other than both of these candidates' ages. I think that that is something that the electorate is concerned about. I think Donald Trump has been protected by not getting the same level of attention that he would if he was in office. Uh, given With regard to his age, I think that, you know, he has slips too, and the Biden campaign has been working to, to highlight those. And so, Maybe only in that sense does this vice presidential pick matter. Uh, give us give us your sense. You you mentioned the age issue. I think everybody uh, in America has thought about that. D- does that, and more so in the context of, I guess, Robert Kennedy. You know, he wants to run third party. There is some dissatisfaction, frankly, with both the candidates. But the we've seen this. It doesn't seem like it, in the last generation. The the high water mark was Ross Perot, nineteen percent. But people forget in the summer he was leading the polls and it sort of faded to nineteen. Ralph Nader, same thing. He maybe affected Florida, but he did never really was a was a does does the dissatisfaction with Biden and Trump equate to Kennedy getting votes, or will he fade and eventually be a non factor in the general election? I mean, in states where these races are as close as they are, I mean nobody's a non-factor, right? If, if Cornell West gets 1% in, you know, Minnesota, that could flip the whole thing. And so in that, in that respect, these candidates do matter. I mean, getting 10% support across all the swing states for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um, is not a, it is, is, it's not nothing, right? Um, but what is interesting to us is when we've done a survey research test on this, both Trump and Biden lose just about equal support whenever his name is thrown into the mix. Uh, I think that is these swing state voters um, expressing their dissatisfaction with both candidates. Yeah, and the the one thing that I think not a lot of people are looking at, at least not right now, is just general ballot access. Cornell West says, I'm not going to run as a Green Party candidate. Well, how are you going to get ballot access? And Kennedy, you know, if, if he wants to do that, that's going to take a significant amount of money to start working on that process, he doesn't have a natural place. So there's a good chance that he ends up not on the belt in a lot of these swing states. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest grain of salt that we have tried to highlight in these surveys is, you know, Joe Biden, Donald Trump both get ballot access immediately because of the two parties. Kennedy is going to have to pay for it. And he is raising money. Um, he has money to spend on some of these. But that's a, that's a big lift going out and getting signatures and getting on the ballots in all these states. I think that he would probably uh, try uh, to target this um, at some specific states. I think the swing states are probably a prime target for it. And I, I, I don't understand that, you know, Cornell says I'm not going to go to the Green Party, which already has ballot access in, what, 20-some states. If I'm Kennedy, you got to at least take a glance at the Libertarians. They've got ballot access in all 50 states. You can save your money and actually spend it in ads instead of hiring people to go collect petitions. I, I think the idea of a third-party candidate always so much easier than actually running third-party. And, I mean, listen, honestly, like we're – you know, we may see it in Arizona too. Kirsten Cinema, she she keeps talking about this independent run for re-election. But I keep thinking the idea of it is always so much easier than actually pulling the trigger. Yeah, I mean, and on top of Kennedy, you know, you have the, the no labels folks here in D.C. trying to get a bipartisan ticket. We saw Senator Joe Manchin announce he was not seeking re-election last week. A lot of folks are watching him as somebody who might be on such a a ticket as a thorn in the side of you know President Biden during some of his um, early legislative acts. So, look, I think this year there is so much dissatisfaction on both sides of the aisle with both candidates. I think that the two major party nominees are coasting toward renomination despite the fact that some folks in their parties do not want to see it. And so clearly this is a moment where people are going to be talking about a third party. Um, but it's a big lift to actually win that, and that seems pretty unlikely. I think so too, and I think if you just look at history, when when third party candidates did the best, I feel like it was generally when you had dissatisfaction, but not loathing for the general candidates. You know, Ross Perot, George George H was not super popular. Bill Clinton was a little unknown. Ross Perot gets nineteen points, but when you have the current system where people loathe the other candidate. I always think everybody views it as a zero sum game. And if they don't vote for the, the against the person, uh, that, that, that it just is a wasted vote. So I'm just, I'm not sure that this will be the year that we actually see this, this track. All right, Eli, for our listeners who don't know you, you're sort of a Southwest Missouri boy done good. Tell them a little bit about your background. Well, I started covering uh, politics down in, uh, Joplin as I was graduating high school in 2010. And, uh, it was kind of a crazy year. It's when Roy Blunt um, announced he was running for U.S. Senate, and there was a, a massive, massive primary for his seat um, with that ended up electing Billy Long to Congress. Um, after doing, after writing about that for uh, my website, Politic Mo, uh, I moved up to Columbia, cover state politics was at, at Mizzou, and that's how I got to know you and a lot of other folks um, from covering the state legislature there. It was a wild, wild time. Um, I, I kind of miss it a lot, actually. It was very fun covering the state legislature. Um, it, you know, in Washington, everything is so uh, guarded. It, being on the ground in the, in the state legislature was a pretty great access to tell some pretty fascinating stories um, about American politics and about Missouri politics. And so um, in 2015, I stopped doing that, moved out here to D.C. to cover uh, campaigns on capital remember did you did you move before or after the john deal event in 2015 i moved right after the john okay. deal so you got the last 
you got the last little bit of that scandal. You missed the Greitens scandal, and obviously, you're you're. I've seen you sort of from afar posting about Dean Plockers, but I, you know, I had dinner uh, maybe a couple years ago with the Speaker of the House in Utah, and I was recounting him some of the stuff we've lived through in Missouri. He's like, "It's very boring in Utah compared to your state." I'm like, "Yes, we have a really exciting state." No, it was it was like Todd Akin, uh two sex scandals in the last year. The two very sad political suicides, um, a right-to-work fight, uh, Ferguson, the Joplin tornado. We had a pretty wild time there. Very easy to make news from uh, from Missouri. All right, Eli, if people want to follow along, sort of get your opinion um, or hear your analysis of what's going on nationally, the debates, uh, races around the country, how do they follow you on social media? Yeah, uh, twitter.com slash eyokely, uh, morningconsult.com slash subscribe, and you can get uh, our, our morning newsletters. You're definitely not up. It, the, the kids call it X now. I, Twitter seems to be an old man thing. Yeah, I don't know. I can't call it X. <laughs> I have not graduated to that either. I think I used it too long as Twitter. Eli Yokely, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Anytime. Again soon. All right, that was Eli Yokely again. He's a Joplin guy. He now works out in Washington, D.C., covering Missouri and national politics from the East Coast. Stick around. we got more to come. 537, the snake draft. You don't want to miss that.